0: It Was Almost Real, The Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 15. Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, dedicated to the history of professional wrestling from 1870 to 1920, although every once in a while we'll range up into the 1930s, including on today's episode. But, uh, as I talked about in the last episode, we actually have a special guest joining Caleb and I in the million dollar studio we Uh, got (laughs) here. Butler just gave us our wine.
1: Yeah, I've never seen such lavish... Uh, (laughs) conditions in the studio before. I'm very impressed. That's what's right. <laughs> so, uh, my
0: cousin Danny, who Caleb knows as Uncle Danny, has come up from uh, down in the country to enjoy Thanksgiving with us and for the small price of a meal we were able to lure him up into this the studio here uh, to talk about the time I almost got him killed when we were teenagers. <laughs>
1: so, now, Let's preface that, Ken. We were both big teenagers. Oh, you were 17, I was 14, and I was probably pushing 245-250 and you was at least 210-215. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so we were bigger
1: kids. And
0: uh, to lead into the story, we had gotten tickets to go see the WWF event in St. Louis, and this was probably late 86. So Dan and I went to high school together. I was a senior, he was a freshman. And we had gotten tickets to go to the wrestling matches. And my aunt and uncle, because we were bigger kids, were comfortable enough to let us go by ourselves. So we went to the matches. Well, Hulk Hogan was in the main event for this card this night. And the the problem was, I despised Hulk Hogan. Who despised Hulk Hogan? (laughs) Both of us despised Hulk Hogan. (laughs) But one of us was more vocal than the other. (laughs) So... We had seats that were right on the uh, aisle that they had set up where the wrestlers would come out. And unlike NWA shows, when you went to the NWA shows, the wrestlers, the good guys and bad guys, would come out of separate locker rooms and they'd come down separate aisles. In WWF shows, they'd all come down the same aisle. So we were sitting right on the aisle and got to see all these wrestlers. And one of the things that we were struck by is, no matter how big they looked on television, they looked even bigger when you saw them for the first time in real life. I remember telling you back then, Don Morocco had the biggest set of shoulders I had ever seen on a human being. Exactly. And 30 plus years later, and I've been in gyms all around the United States and I've been training all that time, I still haven't seen a human being with wider shoulders than than Don Morocco. He was very impressive when we actually saw him. But to get to the, the story of Me almost getting Dan killed. I used to call Hulk Hogan bulk bogus. Mm -hmm. Clever. (laughs) (laughs) I was an NWA fan. So we prided ourselves on NWA fans. We got to see great wrestling matches. The wrestling matches with Jim Crockett Promotions and World Class before that, great wrestling matches. And we were, I saw, which was one of the things I wanted to ask you. I saw the last three years of Sam Muchnick's promotion before Sam Muchnick re- retired on mm-hmm. New Year's Day, 1982. Did you ever see any of Sam Muchnick, or was that before your time?
1: Uh, no, I did, actually. Uh, my brother, my late brother, uh, yeah. Mike, your cousin, too. Yeah. Uh, we would go to the WWE uh, productions and shows because that's what he favored. But like you, I was more of an NWA fan. We'd go down to Checker Dome and we'd see uh, my, one of the... The most vivid memories of NWA show was uh, King Kong Bruiser Brody versus Ric Flair in a steel cage. Two out of three falls. Yeah, I mean that's going <laughs> way back yes. when you were doing it two. is. <laughs> but
0: Brody was a huge star in St. Louis, uh-huh. as was uh, Flair. So mm-hmm. those were were big matches. Yes, and so growing up on Sam Muchnick's promotion, being more of an NWA fan. I disliked Hogan because I didn't think he was a great wrestler. I thought he was all hype. He was a big muscle guy. And now, in hindsight, when I go back and look, he really wasn't as bad as, you know. He wasn't a great wrestler. He's not Savage. He's not Flair. He's not any of those guys. But in comparison to some of the, you know, people today that, you know, don't know Mm -hmm. their left from their right foot, he really, he had some, like, the match with Ultimate Warrior was one of the best matches Ultimate Warrior ever had and you know that wasn't on Warrior that was on Hogan.
1: Right yeah he was yeah uh, you know and it was funny that you say that about Hogan you know he never won the champ when he was championship belt when he was in AWA right because uh, Vern Gagne Luthes, Luthez they didn't want to put the uh, title on a muscle man they wanted to put it on a real wrestler if you will that's right. why Nick Bachwinkle was your uh, champion for so long up there. Right yep and that that's why he lost
0: Hogan, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and it's why eventually he lost his promotion. Mm-hmm. But so to get back to this, I s- despised Hogan, and we're right <laughs> on the aisle. So I had the opportunity <laughs> as he walked by to go, "You suck, bogus," at the top
1: of my lungs when nobody else was cheering. You could have heard a pin drop when Ken decides he's going to voice his displeasure with Hogan. I was just giving him the finger. <laughs> <laughs> Silent but effective. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so today,
0: Caleb, very few people take yeah. this seriously. Everybody knows it's yeah. a work. They do shoot interviews and everything. But this is 1986. Mm-hmm. Kayfabe is still alive. Many of the people that go to the wrestling matches, most of the people that go to wrestling matches, think at least part of what they're seeing in front of them is real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I've just... Uh, told their biggest hero exactly what I think of him as he's coming down the aisle. So to say we were getting some dirty looks would be an understatement.
1: Well, didn't you get a soda cup thrown at you? No, they didn't. They threatened it, but they didn't actually follow through with it. Well, sodas being about $6 a cup back then, yeah, I, I wouldn't throw in it either. either. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, it was threatened, but they didn't actually follow through on it. But I'm yelling at the top of my lungs because it's quiet, and I think he can hear me. He's not—he's not acting like he can hear me. And I'm hearing Danny on the side of me. Shut
1: up! Oh, look around! Shut up! Because the looks we were getting—I had him by the scruff of his neck. (laughs) Sit down! Sit down! Sit the hell down!
0: And I was really into what <laughs> I was doing at the time. So I wasn't paying as much attention to him as I probably should have been. Because he's trying to save my life. I will say, had I probably been about four years older, so it, yeah. if I would have been in my early 20s and Dan would have been about 18, we probably would have had to fight our way. Oh, we there <laughs> would have
1: been a fight, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think the thing that saved us is we were obviously yeah. kids. And Danny in particular, he was big. But he had a baby face, and I think that they saw we were kids, so they didn't like it. And and as Dan said, one or two threatened to throw a cup at me, but but they didn't. But And then we went to lots of wrestling matches after that. So uh, Mm in 1989, Aunt Will and Uncle Lloyd moved back down to the country, Mm -hmm. and they lived in a town just a little bit south of Cape Girardeau. So he and I used to go to the matches in Cape Girardeau because when... uh, was it Southeast Missouri State built the Show-Me Center? Or yeah, was it, uh-huh. it was, yes, the Southeast Missouri... Uh, Southeast Missouri State built the Show-Me Center, and so then WWE started bringing cards there. In fact, mm-hmm. they shot a big angle there. We weren't there for that one, but they shot the big angle between Jake the Snake Roberts mm-hmm. and Rick Rude over Jake the Snake Roberts' wife mm-hmm. in the Show-Me Center yeah. in yeah. Cape Girardeau. But we went to several uh, cards there, besides the ones we had gone to in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And by that time, I, I, I had gotten out of the phase of wanting to scream stuff yeah. at the wrestlers. <laughs> so we didn't have any more, <laughs> we had no more close encounters like we did that time. Uh, I what, but when I told your uncle, hey, I wanted like to talk about this on the podcast, if we get a chance when you're up there, he goes, oh, you mean the night you tried to get me killed? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, and this is getting a little off script, but uh, remember uh, our grandmother Eloise? Oh yeah, she uh, she was quite a fan of Jake the Snake and uh, he came into Cape to open up a uh, Central Hardware and the first, whatever well, I forgot how many of fans it was, was going to get their picture taken with him free. Well when Grandma got there, they had already put the barrier up to say this is the end of the line ladies, you can't go any further. So my grandmother, who was never really uh, one to take orders from anybody, <laughs> That's she just stepped me. around the barrier <laughs> and she got her picture taken with. And Jake we the had snake. that picture and of her with Jake the Snake to the and day. and she has the biggest smile on her face <laughs> in a chokehold. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was. She was not one to
0: brook people telling her what to do. Uh, no, uh. Uh-uh. We st- we still have that picture. Uh, Dan and I found it a couple weeks ago. We were going through some stuff. And uh-huh. He's like, "You remember this one?" <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we just we had lots of good times as wrestling fans and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think your experience has been similar to mine. You've kind of lost interest for a while, and now you're kind of yeah back watching.
1: You know, and it was funny because I missed a lot of. Uh, Good stuff, apparently. Um, you know, and we were both saying how the shows had kind of went down with uh, Vince McMahon, or he got he kind of lost a little bit of his, uh, probably lost a lot of his mind actually. When, uh, but uh, you know, I missed all of uh, the Daniel Bryan angles uh, in WWF. I missed most of them too. I didn't know that he was actually a big thing until I watched AEW, which. I don't recommend doing. <laughs> just just put that out there. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, because at the end of this, I was going to give Caleb the
0: update, because we oh. were looking at what happened after that uh, pay-per-view scrum and everything strictly as a management-type thing. Oh, between know. the
1: young guns and... Yeah, and but because and they're that.
0: supposedly executive vice presidents, yeah. even though mm-hmm. they're not acting like it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been a lot to do with that, and since... I know many of the listeners probably just tune into this to hear the history. We will cover the main topic, and then we're going to go. We'll do AEW at the end. So if people don't want to listen to that, they can just tune out at that point. But we'll we'll go into it now. Talk about as much of this as I'm ever probably going to talk about again. Um, So I think I'm just. We'll just. Jump into the topic. So, Caleb, the one thing he had told me, he goes, oh, this is great. He goes, I'll feel like I know even less. Because Caleb is not a pro wrestling fan. Right. Because by the time he got old enough that we would have been watching it, Mm -hmm. I was watching MMA and I had gotten away from WWE because it had been so bad.
1: Right, exactly. And the same reason I got away from it, too.
0: And so when I start watching it again in 2016, he's already 17 years old. He's already got his own life. He's already doing his own
1: thing. Well, you know, I've only started watching the WWE programming again just over the last year. So you've been watching it for, you know, far longer than I have. But I have noticed with uh, Triple H being the uh, head of the WWE that uh, the productions and shows have become much much better. Yeah, they're they're more
0: interesting. Not so much of the juvenile stupidity that they used to be. Right. in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty uh everybody that I've talked to that used to be a fan, has been a bit of a lapsed fan, mm-hmm. has said I do like the things that uh Triple H Paul Levesque is doing with mm-hmm. the the shows. So I'm I'm hopefully optimistic that at least we'll have something close to professional wrestling worth watching again.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm.
0: But um and one of the things I had decided a few months ago, so when, when we do the reviews, you mm. and I, I'm, I'm, we're just gonna watch the older st- historical stuff. Yeah. There's no reason to watch the newer stuff. You can watch anything you want. You are very fortunate in that we didn't have this opportunity.
1: so We had to wait for Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings yes. to, and get a show that was taped probably last week. Yep, because We did not get cable in St.
0: Louis City until 1986. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we did, after Wrestling at the Chase went by the wayside, because at first, that's all we had. But in 1983, WWE takes over Wrestling at the Chase. So the St. Louis Wrestling Club started bringing in world-class. It was world-class AWA and Central States, and Central States was god-awful. Yes, (laughs) But the people that owned the promotion were the owners of Central States as well. And so, the Central States was horrible. AWA was, there were a few good matches, but it was pretty boring. The interviews mm. were good, but then when they lost Bobby Heenan and a few others, mm. the only good interview was Nick Bockwinkle. Yeah. Uh, and the World Class Show was great.
1: Oh, you didn't like Stan Hansen going, eh, at every interview? <laughs> no. <laughs> I did like some of
0: Stan Hansen's matches. uh and uh, the the match he had with David San Martino, I'd I still remember that one.
1: Yeah, because we didn't like the San Martino. So, <laughs> well, I had nothing against Bruno.
0: I just didn't yeah. think his kid really belonged in pro wrestling. And his kid's probably like, well, who are you to say that? Right. Well, nobody. <laughs> just speaking as a fan, I really didn't care for David San Martino. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we didn't we didn't get that,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then. Once Central States was sold to Crockett, we got Crockett. Mm-hmm. Well, that was great, because yeah. Crockett was good. Mm-hmm. Well, then we got Cable in 1986. So now we get Crockett on TBS anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And pretty soon, within a year or two, it's pretty much down to, you've got Jim Crockett Promotions, mm-hmm. and you've got WWF. And then the worst thing that ever happens mm-hmm. is, w, or Jim Crockett Promotions has to sell to Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. And at first we thought that was a great idea. Oh, somebody with the money to go up against Vince. But the creative was horrible. It it, it never really ever regained what they had in the 80s. Mm-hmm. True. But you can watch anything you want. But yeah. I think for this podcast, because I, most of the people that listen, listen for the history mm-hmm. and everything, I think we're just going to stick with the older stuff. I'm not going to try to initiate you into the newer pro wrestling. You can watch whatever you want. Yeah. You've got Peacock. You can watch the premium live events. I mean, we watched, we watched the main event from Survivor Series this morning for the football game. Mm-hmm. So you can watch whatever you want. But I think for a review, we'll continue to review that. Okay. He does have a solid grappling base from his judo years. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he just isn't that familiar with pro wrestling itself.
1: Right.
0: And speaking about not being that familiar with pro wrestling itself, a lot of people uh, don't know the earlier history because it's pre-videos, it's, and a lot of it hasn't been covered, but both Luthes and uh, Marcus Griffin and the Fall Guys covered the last two legitimate contests that Ed Strangler Lewis ever wrestled, and Caleb, I'm going to have you keep track on time. Okay. If this is starting to go really long, I'm only going to cover the first one. Okay. And we'll do the second one in a future podcast. But in 1932, and uh, just to go back to 1928, after Lewis defeated Stecker in the match that started out as a contest and ended as a work, that was the end pretty much of the Gold Dust Trio. The uh, Toots Mott went his own way and started a booking office and started doing his own promotion. Uh Billy Sandow stayed uh, Ed Strangler-Lewis' manager for another three years, but eventually uh, Sandow and Lewis would have a falling out in 1931 over another legitimate contest with uh, John the Nebraska Tiger Man Pesick. So by 1932, Lewis is no longer associated with Sandow. He's almost completely blind from trachoma, and he is 41 years old at this point in time and his career is starting to wind down but he is still legitimately probably the best wrestler in the world so Jim Londis who's the greatest probably still to this day box office star in the history of professional wrestling he is in a promotional group with Mont and Jack Curley in New York and some other people, well, as they're, they're, these are all guys of questionable morality. They have a falling out, and so they decide the only way they can settle this dispute is through a legitimate contest. Well, Landis is not going to get in the ring with Ed Strangler Lewis in a legitimate contest to save his life. That's not going to happen. So he enlists his policeman, a wrestler by the name of Ray Steele, to wrestle the match with Lewis because Mott convinces his old friend Lewis to wrestle for their faction. And their faction is backed by Jack Curley, which will be important later on in this this match. So the match is scheduled for 1932 in New York because there's so much tension in this promotional group besides Ray Steele and Ed Strangler Lewis who are wrestling. There are multiple wrestlers, seconds, and promotional people in the uh, vicinity of this. And Lewis personally detested Jim Londis. I, I don't know particularly why, but he only ever referred to him by a term that could be considered a racial slur, so I won't use it. But it was... Uh, and I don't believe he was prejudiced against Greeks because he never had any problems with Renato Gardini or uh, George Tragos or any of the other great Greek wrestlers of the time. He just did not like Landis, and Landis was scared of him, and it might be just simply that. He didn't like Landis because Landis did know how to hook, but he wasn't about to try his luck with Lewis. So Steele gets in the ring, and he's barefoot. He normally wore wrestling boots to wrestle. Well, Strangler Lewis never wore shoes. He was always barefoot when he would wrestle. And he looks over and sees Ray Steele come in. Well, he doesn't look over. (laughs) Somebody looks over and sees Ray Steele come in to the ring, and he's barefoot, and they tell Ed Lewis, well, he had to be led to the center of the ring. I mean, he is almost completely blind, but he still is just so good that Mm -hmm. most people can't beat him. They they bring him out to the middle of the the ring for the ent- for the uh, instructions and everything, and uh, Ed Lewis, who liked Ray Steele, says Ray, that blankety blank has done you a bad turn. If you try to wrestle me barefoot, your feet are gonna get all cut up. You're not used to being on this canvas mat like I am. Go put your shoes on. Yeah, and. He said, no, 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 I'm just going to wrestle this way. He said, I'm I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. And Steele just insisted, nope, we're going to go through the match the way it is. And Lewis said, okay, I I, I tried to help you, Ray. And so they go back to their corner. Well, like money, legitimate contest, what have I always said? This was long, boring, and inconclusive. They pretty much, they were tied up pushing each other around for about 30 minutes. But the pushing each other around is starting to cause Steele to suffer because he's barefoot and his feet aren't used to being on that canvas mat. Lou Thez, Ed Strangler Lewis, was his mentor. Mm -hmm. He told, Lou Thez said that if uh, Ed Lewis lets you feel the bottom of his foot, it was like the sole of a shoe. The skin on his foot was so rough from wrestling barefoot all the time. Ray Steele's feet weren't conditioned like that. So his feet are starting to get cut up, and they're starting to bleed. And the sweat and all the stuff on the mat is starting to get in there, and he's really in a lot of pain. And this goes on for a good 30 minutes. And Lewis whispers to him, Ray, if you want to end this, just punch me and get disqualified. So Steele punches him. Yeah. Well, the referee knows that he is refereeing a legitimate contest to settle this promotional dispute. Mm-hmm. So instead of disqualifying him immediately, which is normally what would happen because it's a gross violation of the wrestling rules, he says, Ray, come on now. Don't you do that again. Oh. <laughs> and so, <Man. laughs> so, so they tie up again. And Lewis is like, go ahead and punch me again. So he goes ahead and punches him Again. Again the referee starts to warn him. And finally, Lewis and Steele get real close to this referee and Lewis pulls him in. He says, for crying out loud, the next time he punches me, make sure you disqualify him. I don't want to at me a fourth time yeah. So, <laughs> they let the referee go. Steele hits him again. This time, the referee yeah. disqualifies. Well, all the wrestlers and promoters outside the ring don't realize what's happened.
1: Yeah.
0: They don't realize that Ed Lewis told Steele to punch him mm-hmm. to end the match because Steele was suffering so bad. And it's going to decide the promotional war for Curly and Mott's group. Mm-hmm. So Lewis was fine to win by DQ, and he liked Steele. He didn't want him to be suffering anymore. But all the guys outside are trying to figure out, is this a double cross? Did Steele cross a line? So Lewis's group of wrestlers come in the ring and try to attack Steele. So now Lewis is in the ring <laughs> trying to stop his own guys from attacking Steele.
1: Yeah.
0: Steele's group of guys come in and they're kind of bewildered like, are you guys working together? Did we just all get double-crossed and all of this? And it takes a while for things to get sorted out in the ring because there's so much confusion and everything going on because they didn't understand exactly what they were watching. One group didn't know if Steele had betrayed him and double-crossed him to settle the war for Curly. Mm-hmm. And the other group is like, what's this guy doing punching that Lewis? You know? <laughs> so there's so much confusion. Jack Curley, who's almost 60 years old and is at ringside in a wheelchair, one of the wrestlers for Londis' faction, which Steele is represented, goes over and punches him <laughs> and has to be arrested That's good PR the, by the police. The police have to pull him off because he thinks that Curly has orchestrated this whole yeah. thing and Steele punched Lewis on Curly's horse. So this guy comes over and it's almost a 60-year-old man sitting in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> it, it took a while for him to straighten yeah. everything out, but then they understood after they get back and they talk about it. He's like, I gave him the out. He couldn't continue. And, you know, they could see Steele's feet were all messed yeah. up. And Lewis, of course, has to get his parting shot in and points at Landis and said, if that blankety-blank-blank blank hadn't given him bad advice, he would have lasted a lot longer for you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... That settled the promotional war for Jack Curley and uh, Tootsmont, and Curly got punched for his.
1: <laughs> How do you think the fear he must have felt being stuck in a wheelchair as this right. giant man is coming <laughs> towards him. And
0: punches him, you know, right. as he's helpless in the wheelchair. And the police are standing there. Well, they don't think this wrestler's going to come over and punch Jack Curley. And he punched Jack Curley, the police are like, ah. <laughs> So they call grab him, and they're going to arrest him. But I think somebody told Curly what had happened and Curly told him, let him go. He didn't know what was going on, blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) a lot of times, yeah, a (laughs) lot of times they wanted to keep the police out of things Mm -hmm. because if they say, no, 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 this was a legitimate contest to settle this promotional war, okay, so are the rest of them not legitimate contests? Which they weren't, but they don't want that exposed. The one thing the promoters, up until the 70s or 80s, feared more than anything else was that wrestling would be exposed as a work because it always killed the business almost everywhere that ever happened. How Vince did it to get out of paying the taxes and got away with it, I'll never know to this day. And truth be told, a lot of wrestling fans did fall away after all of that was exposed. Yeah, yeah When it, it had came never out. come back. I mean, there's a lot. There are many, many, many millions of people less. Watching wrestling today, that then when we were kids and there was a territorial system, mm-hmm. because you may only be drawing 9,000 fans to uh, most St. Louis mm-hmm. matches, but about every three weeks you're drawing 9,000 fans, and three times a year you're drawing 20,000 fans. Yeah. Today, if WWE ran the same town every week, they'd be out of business. They couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. But the territories could because they had the wrestling fans.
1: Mm hmm. Exactly, and that's a that's a good point that you made. That you know, uh, now I mean most uh, they don't even stop in Saint Louis hardly anymore. Uh, It's not a wrestling town anymore. And when it did come out, is uh, it's not really the World Wrestling Entertainment or World Wrestling Federation now. It's Wrestling Sports Entertainment is what it's called. And like you said, I think when they did that, a lot of people went. Oh, I I think a lot of people thought or was ninety percent sure. That it was a work anyway, it was fake. There was,
0: you could, you knew it wasn't exactly right. Yeah, but you could suspend your belief long enough to Mm -hmm. enjoy it, even though you knew everything you were seeing in the ring was not legitimate. Well,
1: it's it was a soap opera. It was a live action soap opera, and you know, unfortunately, um, even in the world of uh, sports entertainment, uh, you do have uh, real injuries uh, to people and stuff like that. Uh, so it, it is not a foolproof it's not a foolproof system out there. No, but, uh people get hurt all the time. These these gentlemen are <clears throat> superb athletes, and oh, they put their uh, you know well being on the line to entertain us. And now I think people see that more now as oh well this is silly because it's work. No, these guys are going out there and entertaining. Yeah, and, and and
0: it's not ballet, and people get
1: hurt. Right, exactly. And so one of the
0: re- things that exposed wrestling for me. I know we're going a little bit off on a tangent. But when I realized everything that we're seeing in the ring is not correct, I was probably 14 or 15, and the missing link looks so familiar to me on World (laughs) Class, but I couldn't (laughs) figure it out. I'm like, gosh. And if I show you the pictures, he does look so different from what he used to look like when he was wrestling in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, I know I have seen him. And if I had seen him at Mid-South, he was in Mid-South, several months before he came to world class and he hadn't done the green makeup and everything yet, mm-hmm. I would have recognized him. But he had really got the persona down of the missing link with the green and he had, his hair was shaved and he grabbed the one little spot back here and run head first into people with in that. <laughs> and I got it, I had videotaped it and I slowed it down cause they got a real good close up of his face one time. And I slowed it down in the VHS and I'm like, that's Dewey Robertson. Okay, this makes... There's no way... This make, There's this does not make any sense. There's no plausible explanation for how Dewey Robertson, would, who wore a singlet and was like the old Canadian wrestler, all of a sudden is the missing link. This is not plausible. No. And that's when I started picking up on, yeah, things are just not what they're, they're seeming to be. And then you start picking up on other yeah. stuff. And after well, we saw the 2020 special with John Stossel... You can see the guys blade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys are so obvious when they're blading, you know. Yeah. So then you start picking up on that and you're like, okay, everything we're seeing is not, but I still enjoy it. I still exactly. want. And the great wrestlers like Flair and Dusty could make you forget that they were working with each other. You'd think that they really were trying to kill each other.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was even funny, um, I was remarking to you that one time I was looking through some of the old wrestling cards uh, from back in the day, and the NWA, it was Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes versus another team. I mean, Flair and Rhodes were a tag team at one time in right. some of these, right. and it's like, wow, these guys had a what, a 16, 17 year feud yeah. in NWA and and it and...
0: Rick Flair, we found out later, idolized Dusty Rhodes. Oh, yeah. He wanted, he wanted to be just like Dusty Rhodes, and mm-hmm. Dusty told him, no kid, be yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Best advice he probably ever got. Right. How are we doing on time, bud?
1: Uh, about 30 minutes in.
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll cover the second match, because I think the, the second match, there's less action, but it's mm-hmm. a more interesting story. Okay. So the, the next match happens in... It's either 1935 or 1936. I wasn't born yet, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't kicking around. Two years before mine, too. Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact,
0: Dad was four. You're so, right. Yeah, it's, it was long before I I came along. So... Uh, and my natural father wasn't born yet, either. Right. Yeah, that was before him. So... Uh, Lewis, again, is recruited by Mott to settle a promotional war no. I don't think Lantis was involved this time I do think it was back in New York it, in fact I know it was in New York because Mont was not in uh, Los Angeles until the 40s so it had to be associated with the New York mm-hmm. or somewhere up in the northeast and these alliances—that's why you had so many double crosses in the 20s and the 30s—because mm-hmm. these alliances between promoters were always shifting sand. Yeah, somebody get mad at somebody. Somebody thinks somebody ripped them off. Somebody think they didn't get the right amount of money split or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these guys would break up and start fighting with each other again. So, the 20s and 30s are rife with double crosses, and double crosses start to come to an end in the 40s because the war really interrupts the business for four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, Sam Muchnick and a group of other Midwestern promoters formed the National Wrestling Alliance. Mm -hmm. And when the promoters got together, and uh, you had to be careful, because it was probably technically a violation of antitrust, and they did run afoul of the federal government in the 50s and 60s with the antitrust legislation. But it did get rid of the double crosses for the most part and all of that. So this is going to be another promotional war settled by a legitimate contest. And mm-hmm. he recruits Lewis again. Well, now, Lewis is 44 now. Yeah. He's three years older. His eyesight has not gotten any better. You know, he still has to be a little run. And two to three weeks before the match, he injures his clavicle. You mm-hmm. know, I think I've told you since you were little. It only takes eight pounds of pressure to break a clavicle. Yeah. And I can't remember if his clavicle was broken or just damaged, but it was a serious injury. I mean, most people I know that have that can't even raise their arm above their shoulder Mm -hmm. when that's going on. And he's going to go into a legitimate contest. He was wrestling a young kid by the name of Lee Wyckoff, and Wyckoff was a good shooter. I don't think I would say he was on the level of a Pesic Mm -hmm. or a Stecker, a Fez. I don't think he was on their level. But he was just right under that next level but they felt that he could beat a 44 year old half well mostly blind Mm -hmm. ed strangler lewis and luthes always asked him why did you not pull out of that match well they already had a forfeit up Mm -hmm. so if these guys didn't come into the ring that night to settle the promotional dispute whoever didn't show up forfeited i don't remember $5,000, 5000 yeah. whatever the forfeit was.
1: That was a lot of money back in nineteen. Oh,
0: yes me. it was. So. And the promotional war would be settled in favor of whoever. Mm-hmm. So he said, I couldn't back out. Mm-hmm. He goes, I thought about postponing it, but nobody seemed like they were interested in postponing it. And he says, I know it sounds foolish, but I thought even at my age and with the busted clavicle, I could still beat him. And this match is famous because Lewis didn't win, but he didn't lose either. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, Wyckoff and that group had known about the injury going into the match. So every time they came together, it was a lot like it was sort of a replay of steel Mm -hmm. and that there was a lot of pushing around and bowling around and everything. But Wyckoff took every opportunity he could to palm strike that clavicle, to bang his forearm into that clavicle. Anything he could do to make any kind of contact with that clavicle, he would keep mm. hitting it, and we'd keep hitting it, and we'd keep hitting it. And Lewis is just in excruciating, horrible pain, mm. but he will not concede. So, the match has already gone two hours. The fans are about ready to riot because they're so bored they can't see straight. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that's the problem with legitimate contests. That's why pro wrestling gravitated toward the worked exhibitions, is because there was a lot less chance of injury. Not no chance of injury. Mm -hmm. As Mm -hmm. Dan was saying, you could still get hurt. Yeah. But there was less chance of injury. You could do it a lot more. Mm -hmm. If you're not hurt, you can wrestle a much fuller schedule and make a lot more money. And the work exhibitions drew fans in. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time the legitimate contests would draw, drive fans away and they wouldn't come back for a while. Jesus
1: Christ!
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's the problem with legitimate contests. Yeah. So the fans are getting ready to riot. So the referee tells the guys, let's call this a draw. Mm-hmm. But Wyckoff refuses because he thinks he's going to get Lewis to give in pretty soon. Lewis says, no, ain't no way I'm going to give in. They go another 30 minutes. And this time the referee doesn't even ask him. He's just like, it's a draw. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And gets the heck out of the ring before the fans kill him. A lot of times when you had some of these odd finishes, uh, the fans would go after the referee. You know what? You just gave me my topic for our next podcast Yes. Between with you, me, and you, how to survive an angry crowd? Sort of. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the three match. Run.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: we're going to, which is what they usually did. <laughs> You're right. It's going to be a three match. There was a three match series between Joe Stecker and uh, John the Nebraska Tiger Man Pesek in 1926, and this is a great illustration of that in the third match. Okay. So we'll we're going to talk about that series in the next podcast. So you remember that just in case I forget. But angry crowds, one of the other things, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, it was common back in those days, you know, you'd know, you be sitting in those hard seats, people would bring a cushion, or you could rent a cushion, or sometimes yeah. the arena provided a cushion. Uh, operas have these a lot of times now, too. Mm-hmm. Usually, though, the fans don't chuck them at you if they don't like your performance. <laughs> <laughs> so... If the fans got mad and ticked off, the first thing that was flying in that ring was those seat cushions. <laughs> they would just fill the ring with those seat cushions. And uh, if the seat cushions started flying, usually the referee was out in amongst the police officers and heading to the back. Because a lot of times that's where the fans' ire was directed was at the referee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yikes. And that's that's what we'll talk about in that sticker match. So they're ticked. The yeah. fans are ticked. And referee's gone. Woo! Like you said, how do you get out of there? You run. Right. <laughs> and he's shoving out between the police officers and he was gone. And Lewis and Wyckoff stood there, talked to the crowd for a few minutes, shook hands with the fans and everything, and then they went to the back and that seemed to mollify people. And Ed Strangler Lewis always considered that his greatest legitimate contest of all time. I would say the match with Stecker was much more consequential in 1928 when Mm -hmm. he reunifies the title and settles the promotional war that had been going on for three years and killing the business. Mm -hmm. But I can see where he was saying that because he couldn't have been more handicapped as a wrestler than having the busted clavicle, having the guy banging on it for Mm -hmm. two and a half hours, yet he refused to give in. The guy couldn't get him off his feet. The guy couldn't do anything with him. He couldn't catch him. Even with one arm, he couldn't beat the one arm wrestler. So I can see why he would say that that was his greatest legitimate contest. Yeah. That was also his last legitimate contest. He, he retires for good, not too long after that, although he would continue training. He was involved in the training of Judo um, Jean LaBelle mm-hmm. when he was in California. Yeah. He was very involved with the training of Luthez, and Luthez always considered Lewis's mentor, and that was his hero. So Lou always refused to put over Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, who was the biggest star in pro wrestling probably in the 50s and early mm-hmm. 60s. By far. Yeah. Because Nature Boy Buddy Rogers talked bad about Ed Strangler Lewis on a trip. They were going to Nashville, and they were having these matches. Thez was the champion at the time, and mm-hmm. Lewis was his manager. And he did, you know, keep Lewis, com- or keep uh, Thez company on the road, taught him a lot, yeah. you know, and they had had a relationship going back 10 or 15 years. And Thez wanted Lewis with him. Yeah. Well, Rogers is like, why do we got to cut this old man in, blah blah, 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 and start talking bad about him? And Lou Thez looked at him and pulled the car over <clears throat> and says, nobody's going <clears> to <throat> say anything about Ed Lewis in front of me and Buddy Rogers apologized and he said I'll accept your apology but I will never ever put you over again. And I don't believe he ever did put mm-hmm. Rogers over after that. Yeah. He put him over a couple times before that, but I think after that that was it. He would never And they wanted to put the world title on Buddy Rogers when Lou was getting ready to give it up in the late 50s mm-hmm. and he insisted on dropping it to Dick Hutton cuz he would not drop it to Rogers. Right. Yeah. So what happens sometimes well there
1: there can be a lot of animosity amongst the wrestlers and the competitors yeah. amongst each other for uh, for whatever reason yeah i mean um you know i'm not g- trying to get off on a tangent <coughs> no but me. actually i think you just gave us a great segue but go ahead <laughs> um the uh if you remember the uh, hulk hogan our bulk bogus versus uh sean michaels match Mm-hmm. And I believe you know what I'm talking to. Where, where Michael's oversold, and he, just oversold everything and made Hogan look like a total foolish. fool. Yeah. yeah, so, but yes, yeah. so
0: he he had a match with Hogan that he so oversold and <laughs> just embarrassed Hogan. And yeah,
1: he's going to get away with it. Yeah, because it was there was so much animosity between them. And uh, do you know where that anima- animosity stems from? I did not actually. So I, I mean, and, I thought everybody hated Hogan because he just lied about everything. Well, that that could be some of it. But uh-huh. I
0: actually believe it does go back to the time in the early 90s Hogan was still with WWE. In fact, they put the title belt back on him.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, so is this is the second yeah. second run?
0: This is after that whole movie thing he did. Oh, gosh. <laughs> after he beat Slaughter. No but, holds barred. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Shawn Michaels was an up-and-comer at that time. Him yeah. and Bret Hart and a couple other guys. And I think Sean was the Intercontinental Champion. And he proposed a series of matches with Hogan Mm -hmm. where Hogan would win the first one, Michaels would get a fluky win, some kind of win in the second one, and Hogan would win the third one. Oh, okay. And Hogan says, no, I have a counter-proposal for you. I'm going to win the first one, then I'm going to win the second one, then I'm going to win the third one. Oh. And a lot of people think that that is where... Some of it now we don't know for sure because Shawn Michaels I don't think has ever said exactly where, Uh but I'm going to tell you if I was Shawn Michaels and I had somebody treat me like even if you said I don't know that that's he could have done it a lot better than just saying no, I'm going to beat you in three straight, and
1: right, yeah, you know.
0: But the thing about you just talked about it's it's hard to know where animosities come from Mm -hmm. segues greatly into what we like to call our AWA or AWA, A-E-W. AWA <laughs> Wish they had something that was that exciting in the last 10 years they were around. Better known as Tony Khan's uh, Xanax prescription. Exactly,
1: yes. That, yeah. And that was, you know, that was... Everybody was like, why are these people going to A-W? I said, because Tony Khan will throw his wallet on the table and say, take what you want, yeah. you're in my group. Yeah. <laughs> and as we were talking about this when it first happened,
0: so I played the scrum for Caleb before we recorded the mm-hmm. thing. Now, if I'm the owner of the company... Do I want CM Punk doing that in front of the media? No. But he never put squeezed his hand and gave him the Iggy and said, ah, nah, nah. we'll talk about this later. He never stopped him. Several times when CM Punk is complaining, he's shaking his head, yes. And Which is one of the things I was pointing out to Caleb. I said, he is sitting next to the president and owner of the company.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Who did
0: nothing to stop him. Uh Uh-uh, no, not at all. So the very first problem I had with this from the very beginning is why did the executive vice presidents take it on themselves to go burst in his dressing room after this all happened? Because what do you expect the outcome is going to be? Right. If you go in there, he's hurt, he's tired, he's mad, obviously, Mm -hmm. and you come in there... And he tells you, "Hey, shove it and get out of my or get out of my dressing room." What do you think the outcome of this could possibly be? You know, what what are you trying to accomplish? I don't think he's going to take a dressing down. Right at that point, I said from the very beginning, they should have never done anything until they talked to Tony Khan. Right, none of them. Mm-hmm. Even Mega, who is the uh, the attorney and like one of the officers of the company. She's one of the few non-wrestlers that's an officer of this company. Right. But you have four, basically, officers of the company with assorted... Let's just say what uh, they are. Assorted stooges that are associated with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Mm -hmm. Nakazawa is Kenny Omega's right-hand man. Brandon Cutler, the uh, childhood friend of the Young Bucks, is their best friend. Why are all... If I'm going to talk to an employee of the company, Mm -hmm. it would be me and one other person. Right. And if I'm an officer of the company and they come to me and say, we need to go have a talk with him, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have eight people go in there because now you're starting to create a climate of intimidation. No, we're going to have two people go in and it shouldn't be any of the three of you because you're the ones he was complaining about. What we really need to do is wait for Tony to get done doing the press conference talk to him about a strategy, and we'll schedule a talk later in the week. That's what should have been done. That's what's done in professional companies when you are doing conflict resolution.
1: Exactly.
0: You don't go in the door and cause a bunch of uh, unnecessary drama by confronting the guy right after he got done doing the press conference. And you haven't even spoke to the the president. He hasn't even had a chance to weigh in on this. So that happens. Mm Hmm. They suspend everybody. The first thing I told Caleb, I said, in a regular company, they would all be fired. Oh, absolutely. Workplace violence, they'd all be gone. However, this is a wrestling company. Mm -hmm. These are big stars. Omega and the Young Bucks are critical to their base, but Punk is the only wrestler you've got that has grown this organization. You desperately need him to bring in other fans. Right. Other you, you got to put butts or, in the seats. Right. Or you're going to be in each product forever. Right. I said, I wouldn't get rid of any of them. I said, but they'd all face punishment. I said, the first thing I would do, I would get rid of the fiction of the executive vice presidents mm. because they don't act like officers of a company. They don't conduct themselves professionally, which we'll no. get into here in a few minutes. I would get rid of the, their titles. They would not be executive vice presidents any longer. Mm. They would still be active members of talent. And if you want to keep them in your inner circle, you want to talk to them about creative, whatever, but you take away their titles because by them being executive vice presidents, they are putting your company at such risk of civil liability for the way they're conducting themselves. Yes, they did. You know, and I said, I would punish CM Punk too because no matter that those guys shouldn't have done that, he shouldn't have knocked out, you know, one of the EVPs who come into his dress. You can't get around that. There should have been some punishment for him too. And a chair was thrown. Yes. <laughs> By someone. And they terminated a steal. And I said from the beginning, I don't know how you keep him. Because even if he wasn't he wasn't in the room when all of that first went down, he responded to call from distress from his wife, whatever. He heard something going on back there. Whatever it was, he goes in and he sees one of his best friends in a, some kind of uh, brawl with the... Young Bucks and Omega, mm-hmm. and he jumps on Omega. Right. And, and I said, he's not critical to the, you know, uh, functioning of the company. He's an agent. I said, I'd give him some uh, nice severance package and say, but I'm sorry, you attacked one of the EVPs. You weren't in the dressing room when this all started. Had you grabbed somebody and pulled them away? I know your wife was in there. I know mm-hmm. you could have been under duress. I know you might have thought you were defending her. But when you look at the totality of all the circumstances, we're going to give you a nice severance package, but yeah. we can't have you back in the company. Mm-hmm. And Pony Khan did that. Yeah. But the other thing they did was they suspended him to conduct this
1: investigation. Exactly, and as and far as I know, they're still under. I would love. No, the
0: investigation's over, oh. and I would love. To know who conducted this investigation because uh-huh. unless it's Joe Bob's thrifty investigations, this investigation yeah. was a joke. Yeah, Whoever did this investigation either didn't know what they were doing or were told this is the outcome we want beforehand, uh, which yeah. is an investigation. Yeah. This is the way companies used to operate in the 60s and 70s before the federal government came in yeah. and started yeah. uh, dancing all over their heads with the alphabet soup kids. Mm-hmm. They do not. So in this room, nobody's ever disputed this. We know for sure. CM Punk and A Steel's wife were in the room because A Steel's wife was watching his dog. He right. had his dog with him. Mm-hmm. In the door comes Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Nakazawa, Brandon Cutlett, I'm, I'm doing the Jim Cornette now. Brandon <laughs> Cutler, I'll apologize to you, Brandon Cutler. I should call you by your actual name uh, Mega who's the actual one of the true vice yeah. presidents and there was one other person it could have been um, Christopher Daniels because he is their EVP of talent relations mm-hmm. it could have been Christopher Daniel or Daniel and Steele might have came in afterwards but no it was a producer that came in so I think it was Christopher Daniels so we've got a cavalcade now of people coming into the... They didn't interview A. Steele's wife because they said she wasn't really involved. Okay. She was in the dressing room. She was an eyewitness. Exactly. Yeah, the first person you talk to in these things... Is an eyewitness not involved? Yes! <laughs> yeah. Now, she's obviously... Her husband's a best friend with Punk. She may yeah. not be... Completely impartial. But she is an eyewitness that wasn't throwing punches. Yes. You know? And she couldn't get up and get out of there because she had a... Her leg was screwed up. That So she had Mm -hmm. to sit in there and watch the whole thing. So she has seen the whole thing from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't interview her. So already I know that this investigation is not thorough. It's not complete. Mm -hmm. And it is not conducted by investigative professionals. So I don't know who conducted the investigation because they're not letting that out. Was it another officer of the company who's never done this before? Right. Was it an officer of the company who has done this before and is just getting the result that they want to get? Mm -hmm. There are so many questions that we don't have answers to, but we can say 100% without any fear of being contradicted, this was not a complete and thorough investigation because you would have talked to A. Steele's wife and every other person that was in that room. Every person's name I just said would have been talked to. Did they interview the dog? No, they didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, they wouldn't have done that because the dog was CM Punk's dog and he, you know, oh, yeah. he wouldn't been have yeah, he wouldn't <laughs> So we can't talk to him. Yeah. So, we know the investigation wasn't complete and thorough. Yeah. And now it is leaked out that CM Punk, they're trying mm-hmm. to buy out his contract. Yeah. yeah. Which, we'll get into what that's going to lead to in just a few minutes. So... Tony Khan has sided with the executive vice presidents because he's not taken any of their titles and he's returned them back to TV. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they had a TV match this week on Dynamite that's all the rage because Kenny Omega just can't leave well enough alone. He has to act like he's going to bite somebody's arm in the match, which is what happened to him in the scrum. And then he's going to act like he's going to do CM Punk's finishing move in oh. the match. Right? Right. If I was CM Punk's, I would be looking for an attorney right now. Because these mm-hmm. guys are goading him and everything else. That's yeah. It's... Executive vice presidents do not act like this. No. Children act like this. It seems like a boys club. Yep. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was called from the beginning was all friends wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that's what it seems like. If you're buddies with Kenny Omega... Or the Young Bucks, or Chris Jericho, you know. Their they're creative is horrible, so I don't think it helps you that <laughs> yeah. much, to be honest.
1: But can you, know. can you believe Jericho is still relevant after okay. all of these years? Chris Jericho. <laughs> right. How old do you think he is? 50. Oh, no. Mm-mm. He's mm-hmm. a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he's a year older than Uncle Danny. Mm-hmm. And he's still relevant. Because remember the Y2J? Yes. That was 22 Two years, years ago. Yeah, <laughs> When he was in his prime. Yeah.
0: And and still relevant. And he's using him today. Tony Khan is starting to rely on him more for creative. Mm-hmm. Which I wouldn't have a problem with if he was no longer an active wrestler.
1: Yeah, but he's the Ring of Honor champ. Or, yes. And
0: he's beating a bunch of guys. He should be putting people over. Mm-hmm. Not getting put over. He, it reminds me, I'm sorry, he did the greatest booking. I loved the era but Dusty booked himself on top for too long. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. That's the problem when the booker is still an active wrestler. Mm -hmm. And it caused a lot of friction with the four horsemen and other people in the locker room. Mm -hmm. So what do I think that this means for AEW long-term? They're going to remain a niche product. Mm -hmm. The fans that liked independent wrestling and liked the style of the Young Bucks and the Kenny Omegas and that, they'll continue to watch. Most wrestling fans that like the old, more traditional Mm -hmm. territory-style wrestling and that mid southern they're going to quit watching again. Mm -hmm. There are a couple people like the House of Black that I'm interested in that I'll still try to keep up with if it doesn't cause me to. But I have no faith in the creative. Right. Okay. I was rooting for AEW when they came out because I wanted a viable alternative to WWE because WWE mm-hmm. always is better when they have competition.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: And it's great for people to have other places to work than uh-huh. just WWE. But it's obvious that Tony Khan is more interested in being friends with the people he originally went into business with. Companies don't run like this anymore. This yeah. is the way companies used to run in the 60s. You would have these... Uh, executive officers and, you know, mm-hmm. the ad advertising agency is the big cliche all the time. Yeah. You'd have these ad executives that are committing sexual harassment, saying all kinds of inappropriate stuff and all that. Oh, wow. mad men, in other yes. words. Yeah. yeah. Sneaking yeah. a couple <laughs> <That's>, thousand every <laughs> once in a while. That's, yeah. And that yeah. is always the cliche of how those offices in the 60s used to run. Right. Knocking back booze during the day and everything like that. And... When they would be, have somebody report something, they would do an investigation like this, cover everything up, those executives wouldn't suffer any consequences mm-hmm. and they would pay off whoever the complainer was just to make them go away. Right, And that's why you have all the workplace laws that you have in place now. And if you had companies acting like these guys are acting right now... You know, they're breaking. They're going into rooms. They're causing all kinds of stuff. They're showing themselves on TV. If the company didn't get rid of them, people would start fleeing that company in droves. Mm-hmm. Not just workers. I'm talking about people would quit buying from them. Quit watching right. their stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's why I think that that's it's going to happen. So they're, they're they're
1: going to keep their base audience. They're going to keep that seven hundred to eight hundred thousand. So you think basically it's going to dry up like world class championship wrestling did? They're just going to lose. They're just not. They're, they're gonna... never
0: going to be able to attract another talent like CM Punk, someone that can actually bring in other fans, mm-hmm. because they've seen how CM Punk's been treated now, and they're not going to. Yeah. And. The fans have seen this now and there are fans that have took both sides. They were pissed off. I, I from the beginning, from a management perspective, saw the wrong on both sides of it. Yeah. yeah. But this would be the worst decision I think you could possibly come to mm-hmm. and that's what they came to. So they're going to be a niche product with a very rabid fan base of about seven to eight hundred thousand people.
1: Mm. So they're going to be basically ECW. Yeah, or they're going to be a small territorial organization, yeah. uh, have a devoted base of fans, and you're not going to get any bigger creativity out of them. They're going right. to still run uh, Doctor Britt Baker against whoever the right. you know. And, and a lot
0: of them will be green. There'll be yeah. people that aren't properly
1: trained. Because you're getting from the
0: same pool. You're not going to get anybody anymore that's coming out of that WWE system unless they were already friends with Omega or Adam Page or the Young Bucks. Right. Or or Adam Cole. Unless they were friends with them before, they're not signing there.
1: Right, exactly.
0: It's going to go back to being all friends wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you like it, watch it and enjoy it. I don't like most of it. So, mm. a little of it I watch, but for the most part, I'm not going to waste too much of my time
1: on it. Well, once again, you've got Y2J, going to be probably in your top three matches that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are you going to have? Uh, John Moxley and MJF. Mm-hmm. Okay, well now they're going to have a big feud. And that's all you're going to get now. You're going to yeah. get the same. And that was the way it was in the WWE for quite a while when Vince was in control. Right. You were going to watch Randy Orton face... Some one of the legends every week and it was going to be Randy Orton killing some guy with a head kick or something.
0: uh, Another one, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Yes. How many times we see Drew McIntyre and Sheamus wrestle on pay-per-views, on TV every week? It was like they were wrestling each other every single week Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they were cutting so many wrestlers. Yeah. So I'm not saying this is a death knell for AEW, far from it. I think Tony Khan's got enough money to keep it afloat.
1: I Was it think. his money, or is he getting it from his daddy? Well, of course he's getting it from his dad. That's, <laughs> that's
0: where it all came from in the beginning. John exactly. is the brilliant yeah. businessman. But he's got enough money to keep it going. They yeah. do have the network television, at least for now. Right. But it's not going to grow. So, mm-hmm. so it is what it is.
1: Right. So if you enjoy it, enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, it probably ain't getting any better. I'll, I, will say, I will say one thing about EW. If I'm channel surfing that night... When I don't have anything else to watch, I'll probably print it on and then take a nap. Yeah. So. Because
0: there might be a good match pop on um, every that's yeah. while. Mm. It'll be like watching WWE over the last three <laughs> or four years. <laughs> right. I could watch seven hours of WWE programming in 30 minutes. Yeah. What is, what is the Tribal Chief doing? Is there anything else worth watching? Exactly. <laughs> that's now, the way it was when Vince was in charge.
1: But I tell you what, now that, you know, that... Uh, Paul Levesque, Triple H is in charge now, uh, and they've gotten Stephanie McMahon out of the ring. She was a shrill harpy. All she does was talk to hear her own head rattle. But um, you know, but you know, I think she's a fantastic businesswoman,
0: and um, I think her being behind the scenes, yes. doing the business, mm-hmm. and letting uh, Triple H do the on-screen creative. I think that's. that's- that's, that's, a, that's a
1: tough team to beat. That's why I said you got her out of from in front of the camera, yeah. and now you've got, it seems to run, you know, well, Paul's got... The one thing that they seem to be
0: <clears throat> doing that I am so uh, happy to see, they have got the company out of being the heel.
1: Yes. The mm-hmm. company
0: is no longer the heel authority figure. It worked great for Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold, but it's like we never knew what else to do, so for the last 20-plus years after that was all done, We've Mm -hmm. still had the heel authority figures, Mm -hmm. and I think Triple H realized with the success of NXT, he was the the good guy. People really liked what Triple H was doing with NXT. Oh, you want the company to be in the role of the good guy, because then people are happy to come out and watch your product. Right, exactly. If they don't like you, then the lines start to blur between reality and fantasy, Mm -hmm. and now maybe they start hating your company because they don't like you. But... Uh, uh, it's uh, Elon Musk people don't like Elon Musk now because he's taking over Twitter and stuff so people are getting rid of their Teslas you know yeah. when people decide they don't like somebody they're less likely to spend money with them oh, and Sam Bradford for,
1: for the ring <laughs> when they was burning all of his stuff <laughs>
0: <clears throat> sorry guys
1: <laughs> the uh but yeah but you know, I was alluding to the fact that you know uh Triple H has brought up so much new talent uh, that is interesting to watch. Yes, you know, uh, you know, there's going to be some shenanigans every week with something, and the way that they're progressing the storylines, like you said at the Survivor Series when we watched the uh, the main event, uh, you know, the, the end of that match just pushed that storyline yeah. so forward, and now I'm excited. Yeah. to well, see well, where they, they go next. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And for like you said, the last five or six years, it was like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who well, that cares? was at least the three hours of my life. I ain't getting back. Right. <laughs> so where are we at on
0: time, Chief? Hour and four minutes. All right. Well, I, I think we've probably talked everybody's ears off this week, and I hope you guys enjoyed us having our, our guest here. And uh,
1: well, I hope I'm interesting enough that you'll have me back sometime.
0: <laughs> oh, sure. We'll have to grab you again if uh, maybe we can bribe you with another meal around Christmas, and then we'll tell some more. Uh, story. We'll well, switch it
1: up and give you a ham. Okay, you know what, what? Ham jerky, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I
0: I talked about it briefly, but I'd love to talk about how we turned your mom into a fan of Bobby Heenan. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She she was never she never really became a wrestling fan, yes. but she became a big fan of Bobby Heenan, uh-huh. sitting there with us because we could watch if Uncle Lloyd was working, mm-hmm. we could watch wrestling on the TV in the living room. Yeah. And Aunt Willow would sit in there with us. She wouldn't really watch the wrestling, but you'd hear her laughing because of Bobby Heenan. Yeah. She'd
1: be sitting there reading a book and Bobby Heenan would say something and she'd be like, <laughs> and she'd laugh behind her book so she was paying attention. Yeah. So maybe next time we could talk about that.
0: That would be fine with me, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. All righty. So until next time, we uh, hope you enjoy your wrestling and come back. I have to, real quick, two programming notes. As I said on the last podcast, the second episode for this month will probably be a solo episode. And I'm just going to probably read a chapter from uh, working or shooting the history of the American heavyweight wrestling title. And then the second episode in January, we might be able to get our guests back in the studio. Mm-hmm. And we, we may do that. But we're, di- we're going to talk about the Joe Stecker, uh, John the Tiger Man Pesek series of matches
1: in that podcast. And I was going to... Uh say one thing um if your uh fans out here they want to know more about uh you know mid-championship wrestling uh mid-south wrestling uh Maple Leaf Wrestling, uh, the 50th state great wrestling. There's a great series of shows on uh, YouTube called Tales from the Territories. Oh yes. Uh, With a lot of good history. Were those originally on Vice? I believe they were, uh, but it's called Tales from the Territories. Uh, On YouTube, they've got the first 27 issues, or 27 uh, videos, all-in-one, it's like a five-hour video, but of course you can stop it and then go back to where right. you left off. But a very interesting and a lot of good information on that stuff. Um, especially about the Florida Championship Wrestling and Georgia Championship, yeah. how they kind of merged and became a big powerhouse. I've, I've seen Polynesian Pro mm-hmm.
0: and the one on Tennessee yeah. so far. They, yeah. they are very good. Yeah. yeah. So, you want to sign us off or we'll probably never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, but we'll catch you next
1: week. All right.